Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God and to the life He created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help or if you need prayer of any kind, you can text the keyword, I need help to 31996. Or if you give your life to the Lord, we would love to know. You can text the keyword, I said yes, to that same number, 31996. Someone from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all have no idea. When y'all do that, I feel good. I feel good. Hallelujah. Well, before I get started, I wanted to say one thing. Um, our youth got back from a student conference yesterday. And I, yeah, yeah. And I actually have had a chance to talk to several of them. You know, our mission here at The Crossing is for people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. I talked to four students, and they covered every one yeah. of them. Yeah. Amen? Now, I heard during huddle, Chris, thank you so much for saying this. I know some people are concerned about the fate of the church. If our students are in charge, hallelujah, because they are awesome. So let's give our students and the leadership a hand. Yeah, yeah. Or as Pastor Randy says, I was once young, but now I'm old. (laughs) So anyway, so y'all know I like participation right? Everybody knows that. So I'm going to extend an invitation, and I honestly don't want to create any discomfort in anybody, okay? But where I grew up, people talk back, okay? So for the next hour, you have my permission to be black, okay? (laughs) That work? All right. All right. Amen. Yes. Amen. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, when Pastor Dallas was here a few weeks ago, as he started to share on the benefits of problems, I thought, oh my gosh, he's preaching the topic that I thought God had laid on my heart to pray. I was going to call it the value of trials. It was even the same passage of scripture. So I asked God, because this is the way he and I talk, dude, (laughs) dad, 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 what's the deal? And what he said to me was, Reggie, this is an important topic. I want you praying for, da- for Dallas, and I want you praying for the people that when he delivers it, they can receive it. Because sometimes we think that when stuff happens in our life, God's not in it. Listen, he said he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's his promise, right? So, and what about Pastor Orlando's message that drew the incredible parallel of using the Declaration of Independence as proof of the biblical principle that what we declare matters. As we declare what God has said, we start to experience the power, the truth, and the reality of everything he has said. It's a part of walking by faith. We speak it before we see it, right? It's the truth. And how about Dr. Lenny's message last week? the importance of our identity in Christ and how the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word can remove all the confusion that swirls in our own minds because of what we hear on TV, what we hear from people, read on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. So can I get an amen for Pastor Dallas, Dr. Lenny, and Pastor Orlando? Come on, let's give them a hand. Give them a hand. And I trust that you are, impl- you are applying what you heard, because application is important. All right. So this morning, I wanted to share two perspectives and some encouragement about something that I heard when Debbie and I were in Oklahoma City three weeks ago. These perspectives and encouragement were helpful to me, and my prayer is that they will be helpful to you. So... She didn't fail when I first saw her when she walked through the door. Guess what she said to me after she threw them lips on me? 
Praise the Lord. <laughs> she said, don't read your message. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, but guess what? <laughs> I'll do the best I can. Y'all will pray for me, right? Okay. So I'm hoping that what I share will be an encouragement to you. But first, I want to ask some questions. Why does God, through his word, repeatedly encourage us to pray? If God wants to accomplish some goal on his own glory, for his own glory, why doesn't he do it on his own? I mean, he created the universe that way. It was him, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So there was three people involved. Why does God tell us that if we hope to experience blessings, we must first ask for them? Does prayer really make a difference? Does it change things? And why is it so important? So the topic this morning is, why does God ask us to strive in prayer? So I have a question for everybody in here. I'm looking for a response. Okay? All right. By a show of hands, how many of us would like to see Jesus' church improve its prayer life and its effectiveness and impact on mankind? Okay, that's good. Next question. How many of us want to be a part of that? Okay, whoo, this is going to be good today. Like I said, there's participation at the end. So save something, save something. So these two perspectives come from Romans 15, which is written by Paul, and from Luke, writing in Acts chapters 21 through 23. So let's read the part in Romans. So this is Romans 15, 30 through 31a. It says, now I beg you, brethren. Now, we all know that brethren and sisterin, sisterin is something you put water in. So we're just going to say brothers and sisters, okay? I urge you, brothers and sisters. Through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Now, this word translated beg is quite forceful. This is more than just a polite request. Paul isn't saying, hey, Romans, if you find some free time in the next few days and God brings me to your mind, would you consider devoting a few minutes to interceding with him on my behalf? No, this is an urgent plea and passionate appeal that reflects the emergency that Paul faced. He is in great need, and he is genuinely desperate for the prayerful support of those believers in Rome. So... How many times have you said to somebody when you were in great need, please pray for me? I beg that you pray for me. Or they said it to you. How many times has that happened? You begged, please pray for me. I don't know if Paul was frightened, but he was undoubtedly greatly concerned about what he faced and the possibility that his best efforts might be thwarted and his life put in danger. And then let's get to this part in the scripture where it says, and how about strive together with me in prayers? In the Amplified, it says, earnest wrestling. Noah Webster, does everybody know who Noah Webster is? So his first dictionary in 1828 was the first American dictionary. And the way that he defined things was by using the Bible. They say that he almost had the Bible memorized. He's a really, really, really smart man. But this is what he says about striving. He says, to make efforts, to labor hard, to struggle in opposition to another, to contend with or to contest. So again, why does Paul use this language? Paul's appeal here is that they strive together with him in praying for these things. Clearly, Paul is himself praying that God would answer these requests. But if he is praying, why does he need the Romans to partner with him in prayer? And this is Paul. This is a bad do. If you read in Acts 19, 
These are the seven brothers of Sceva. They were the children, the sons of the high priest. And uh, they went to go whoop on a demon. You know what the demon said? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you turds? (laughs) Who are you turds? And then he beat them, stripped them naked, and ran them out the house. Paul was a bad dude. He was used in the same sentence with Jesus by the demons. He's a bad dude. Well, there could be several answers to why Paul asked us to strive. So first, God encourages people to join together in prayer because it builds community and love and unity among Christians. Let's look at the word community. Calm, let's call that communication. Unity, communication and unity. So we are called to be a community, which means we're talking in unity. That's what distinguishes us from the world because we're all centered on God's truth. So when we all pray as one, we experience a deeper spiritual connection with each other, and that can only serve to increase our effectiveness as we minister to a broken, hurting world. Second, God wants us to see how how powerful prayer can be. When many are praying in unity for the same thing and what they are asking God to do gets done, we are confronted with the power of prayer and how God has chosen to honor it. Clearly, God will answer the prayer of one person. But here, Paul is asking many to pray. It's to the Romans in Rome. He must believe that it matters. He must believe that it matters. Even Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He didn't send them out by themselves. So if you're thinking Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? He had Tonto. So let's get unified. Let's do things together. In the Old Testament, many times, the leader called the nation together to pray. The nation gathered, the nation prayed, and then God showed up in miraculous ways. So imagine living in a country where the leader called the whole nation to pray and the whole nation prayed. In, in my memory, now my memory is 67 years long, so I, I know I, I don't look like I have a 42-year-old daughter, but I do. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that later, by the way. (laughs) I'm going to pay for that later. But in my memory, the last time that happened was after 9-11 when the president asked everyone to pray. It seems to be the last time we were in unity about anything. It's important that we pray together. Third and perhaps most important of all, when many pray, God is greatly glorified. This is clearly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.11. You also must help us by prayer. He's writing to the Corinthians. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The blessing was attached to the prayers of many. We see this in Scripture. Paul is declaring it's important when we all pray together. In other words, when many pray, many expressions of gratitude will rise to God. And all those expressions of gratitude draw attention to God and his greatness and his goodness. So, of course, God is eminently pleased with the prayers of every individual It seems he is extraordinarily pleased when people come to him in unity and oneness. Again, the power of community. Even if we can't figure out why, Paul makes it clear that this is something for which we must strive. So let's talk about the striving in prayer. Now, I'm not talking about when you don't want to pray. If you don't want to pray, you can actually kind of put in your ear, never mind, I'm talking about when you want to pray, so this is, this is for that. So when you want to pray, when you need to pray, when you have a moment to pray or even set time aside to pray, 
there is an adversary who wants to prevent us from praying, who will contend with us. Let's deal with him first. So at a minimum, Paul would be referring to demonic forces that don't want us to pray. So I've said the word, yes, there are demons. There's a kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of darkness. Okay? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Demons are determined to sow seeds of doubt in our minds about whether prayer is important or whether it even works. They are constantly trying to undermine our prayer life by suggesting to you that God isn't listening or that you're too sinful or that you're too insignificant or you fail too many times and he's given up on you. Who you are, who are you anyway thinking that the God that is the creator of the universe would intervene on your behalf? That's what a demonic voice sounds like. So when you hear that, that is not God. That's a demon. Call him out. Now, there are some more natural things we have to contend with when we pray. Let's talk about distractions. You start to pray, the phone rings, there's a Facebook notification. Your kids yell or interrupt, the doorbell rings, and a hundred other distractions. And oh, by the way, you folks that wear those watches, that their cell phone watches, I watch it. I'm talking to someone and they go, uh, breaker, 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 make an appointment for me. And I'm like, <laughs> anyways, I don't know how y'all do that. I don't know. How, it's, it's too much for me. It's too much for me. But then again, I am mature. Another, the laziness of our own soul. So your mind wanders or you get sleepy, or you wake up in five minutes going, where'd the time go? You fall asleep. Now, I hope I'm not the only one. Am I the only one? <laughs> Nobody else is falling asleep praying? Oh, praise the Lord. If you go into my office, there's a sign on my desk. If you walk in there, it says, if somebody comes into your office and your head is on your desk, just lift your head up and say, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> It's on my desk. I'm not kidding. I need it for cover. Anyways, this is why there are imperatives in Scripture about striving in prayer. Why Paul says in Colossians 4.12, he's talking about Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always praying for always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So think about this, Epaphras. Now, we're supposed to be a bond servant of Christ also. So we should be always laboring fervently for everybody else in prayers so that other people can stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This is clear, people. This is clear. So... What about other things that can cause issues? Iniquities or sin in your own heart. David writes in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's important to repent of any sinfulness that we have in our heart before we pray so that we have an unobstructed line to God. Now, let me show you how this works in my life. Last Friday was a tough day. Uh, it was the first anniversary of my mother's death, but I kind of got over that because the Lord reminded me, he said, Reggie, now you remember, in 1942, your mom and dad had their first kiss because they were playing spin the bottle. Guess what they're doing in heaven today? <laughs> they playing spin the bottle. That's what he told me. Then he said about this iniquity in your own heart, Reggie, so... Y'all know that unforgiveness is a sin, right? Okay, well, last, a week ago Friday, the man that molested our daughter was let out of prison. 
And I had to decide, Lord, am I walking in forgiveness? You know, it was easier when he was behind bars. I don't know how that works. But he confronted me with, Reggie, have you forgiven this man? So I cannot tell you about the rest of the conversation because that would not be PG. But what I do know is that my connection to God is broken when I regard iniquity in my own heart. Now, here's a little something extra for you husbands. It says, dwell together with your wives with understanding as to the weaker vessel. Now, this is not about spiritual strength. This is about we dudes need to protect our wives. Because if we take advantage of them, the Bible says our prayers are hindered. Now, I don't know about you. Now, I don't know who the hindering is, but I think it's God, and that's a bad day. That's a bad day. So it's important to repent of any sinfulness that we have in our heart before we pray so that we have an unobstructed line to God. That's important. Clear your heart out. It's good for you. Then there's unbelief. Like the father of the demonized boy in Mark 9, 23 through 24, who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, this father is responding to something that Jesus had said to him. Because Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. The enemy of our soul is always trying to plant seeds of unbelief. He even tried it with Jesus in the wilderness. Now, get the scene. Jesus has been, the heavens have opened. God the Father has said, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. So this is what the devil did. He comes to Jesus in the wilderness and he said, if you are the son of God, not once, but twice, he questioned Jesus's identity. Well, since we are the children of God, we're his sons and his daughters, of course, he'll try it with us. James says in James 4, 7, Resist the enemy, and he must flee. It worked for Jesus. It will work for us. We've got to settle that our identity is in Christ. Remember Dr. Lenny's message from last Sunday. Another reason, I don't know how to pray. And I'd like to take the mystery and maybe even some of the embarrassment and shame out of this one. Because remember, even the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. If you ask to learn how to pray, that makes you just like the disciples. And look what they did. They changed the world. And when they did, this is what he said. So I'm going to have the guys put up a slide. So this is what he said to them. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's adoration. That's because you love something. Now, my family knows that I like mesquite barbecued ribs. I like them a lot, a lot. It's not adoration. It's not adoration. Adoration is reserved for God. It's reserved for God. Your kingdom come. Divine intervention. What we want on this planet is what God has in heaven. Yes. Will we all agree with that? We want divine intervention. And it's not the kind where, so you have a family member and they're misbehaving and I all talking about them and you're thinking, let's show up on Friday night at seven. Let's intervene. It's not that. It's not that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submission. God wants us surrendering. He wants us to be able, he wants to be able to say to you and me, Reggie, this is what I need you to do. This is how I'd like you to act. And he wants me to salute and say, yes, sir. It's just that simple. At my house, when our kids were small, we said slow obedience is no obedience. Y'all remember that? Yeah, I bet you do. Okay. okay. Give us this day our daily bread. That's provision. He says... He will meet every need, provision. It's, and it's not just bread, although that's good. 
There's lots of things that we need provision for in our life. We need a home. We need a job, right? We need peace. He said he will supply our every need. All right. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I talked about this earlier. This is forgiveness. This is confessing our sins, receiving forgiveness, and then forgiving everybody else. Because Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, then neither will your heavenly father forgive you. I think that's a bad place to be. Jimmy Evans used to say, refusing to forgive somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's not good. Shouldn't be drinking poison anyway. For you little kids that, okay. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Guidance and deliverance. Every morning, wouldn't it be cool just to get up and say, Daddy, I, talk, I, I use his first name, Daddy. Daddy, what is it you, what are you doing today and how would you like me to join you? And usually the first thing he says is, uh, let's, let's look after Debbie. That's the first thing he says. Because I love my wife. I love my wife. Guidance and deliverance. There's bad stuff out there. The only person that can really protect you. Now, I, I made this comment earlier in the first service. Now, uh, I know that in the state of Texas, it's called, we have open carry. We also have conceal. And you can put your faith in the fact that you think that's going to protect you. I'd rather trust God. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't carry. <laughs> I want to help him. I want to I help him. But he is our guidance and our deliverance. He's our protection. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever praise. When you have somebody doing all this for you, isn't it, just praise him, right? And it doesn't have to be, I mean, I understand that there are people that pray and they can string together a lot of good stuff. I love you, Jesus. You are amazing. God, you are just amazing. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. It's really kind of simple. His word is important because that's what we take back to him because he watches over his word to perform it. He said, it will not return to him void. That's what he said. Okay. What about this reason? If he knows what we need before we ask because he knows everything, why do we have to ask? Because the asking demonstrates dependency on him. It is us recognizing him as Lord. It's our part of surrender. And perhaps if we don't feel like we need to ask, maybe we don't fully understand our part in the relationship that he wants with us. He desires an intimate father-child relationship. For those of you that are parents, or maybe those of you that are kids that have great relationships with your father. Remember when your kids came and sat on your lap and they just snuggled in? You remember that? My kids still do it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Because there's room on this lap. But anyways, <laughs> it's an amazing thing. We got to get a better picture. He wants intimacy with us. Let me say one other thing. Sometimes we project our image of ourselves on him because of how tired we get when our children are constantly coming to us and asking for things. God loves us to ask. So y'all ask mom and dad, you keep it up. Paul says in Hebrews 4.12, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been around some bold children and they asking, bold. As a matter of fact, they just will not stop. That's the relationship that God wants with us. In Luke 18, he talked about the woman who went after the judge. And this judge did not like God. He didn't like people. He didn't have any honor for anybody but he gave in because he 
was concerned that eventually she would just wear him down. We need to be willing to boldly go to our Father, even when we don't feel like we're worthy. Feelings are indicators of something. They're terrible leaders. They're terrible leaders, okay? But they sure can be. All right. One more reason that is perhaps the most difficult is the memory of of earlier unanswered prayers or prayers that were answered, but not the way you had expected. We really have to push against this one. We don't pray because we want God to answer our prayers our way. We pray because we want him to answer our prayers his way. Did y'all get that? We don't want him to answer them our way. I one time got what I prayed for, and in four years I was divorced. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I had to pray twice. Anyways, okay. Jesus said it this way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He followed his own instructions to his disciples when he taught them to pray. And I want to give you a current example of this, what happens when there's unanswered prayer or you have to wait. I know y'all have been watching this bag, right? Okay, well, Debbie was diagnosed with stage four cancer seven weeks after our son Reggie died. And about four months in, the Holy Spirit said, hey, Reggie, I got an idea. I want you to collect her bands because what a testimony it's going to be. So I said, okay, well, okay, God, you're really cool. So you're fast. So I got a sandwich bag and I filled it up. I went to a court bag and I filled it up. This is where we are today. And why I say this is this. When Debbie was diagnosed, the prognosis for her was median lifespan, 2.7 years. We are now sitting at four years and four months. This is the faithfulness of God. This is the faithfulness of God. It's interesting, the guy that's been her doctor for the first four years is Jewish and he's married to a Catholic, okay? So that's, a, uh, that's, that's also a blended family. <laughs> yeah. uh, he will use the word, when he's talking about Debbie, he will use the word, what's going on with you is amazing. He will not use the word miracle. But we don't care, we don't care. We stand rooted in the truth. This is what Debbie says. There's two things she says that they're just a part of me. You can't do what only God can do, and he won't do what he asked you to do. That's saying number one. And then saying number two with this is, Reggie, I know that the doctors can't cure me, but my God can heal me. So let's give God a hand for all of that. Yeah. So I've told God, if I need a trash bag, I'm good. You know why? Because we're going to Virginia in September. (laughs) We're going to Virginia in September. So whatever the obstacle, fight against it, push against it. Don't settle for less. Hold tight to the promises of God. Do not give in to the temptation to give up. There are many examples in Scripture of people who toiled and struggled in prayer. Now, there's one other perspective I'd like to share, and it's the encouragement to continue to press into prayer. Why? Because it works. So I'm going to share an example from Scripture and then an example from our life. First, let me set the scene for those two verses in Romans 15. Paul is hoping to go to Jerusalem, and he's writing to the Romans from Corinth in Southeast Asia. So for today, west is that direction. So Rome is 500 miles from Corinth. Now, today we can do 500 miles. Well, some of us 
Take 10 hours, some of us take five. We drive too fast or we fly. Now, he's asking them to pray for his trip to Jerusalem, which is a place about 1,000 miles south and east of Corinth, so about 1,500 miles between Rome and Corinth and, uh, and Jerusalem. So the Roman Christians get the letter. They get almost to the end. We're in chapter 15, and they realize that they need to pray for Paul's trip to Jerusalem. So they probably call for a prayer meeting. So when you hear our pastor call for a prayer meeting, what do you need to do? Show up <laughs> or pray online, whatever. But we need to pray, right? So Paul is communicating to people in Rome, most of whom he does not even know, asking them to pray for him in a city that many of them had never been to about people who were not even believers. He calls them unbelievers. Would you pray? If you got this letter, would you pray if you got this letter? Let's read these verses again. That you strive together with me in prayers to God for God. You strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Let's take a look at what happens when Paul gets to Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Reading in Acts 21, verse 37. The Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. And verse 30 says, and all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And I love verse 31. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So how do you think the news came to the commander? I'd like to suggest that perhaps the news came to the commander because people in Rome had been praying for Paul. And it gets even better. The commander had put Paul in jail to protect him And as we read in Acts 23, that over 40 men took an oath and told the chief priests and the elders at the temple that they would not eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have 40 people who are not going to eat or drink till they kill me, it's a bad day. Said another way, if I make an oath not to eat or drink before I kill somebody, Somebody's dead. (laughs) Because I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat. Anyways, they were going to ambush Paul as he was transported from Jerusalem to Caesarea to meet with Felix, the governor of Judea. See this pattern in Jesus' life? The one dude, the the lower dude can't figure it off, so he hands it off to somebody else. So this is what this, this commander does, sends him up to Caesarea. However, Paul's nephew, the son of his sister, gets wind of the plot. How do you think Paul's nephew gets wind of the plot when the men who took the oath were talking to the chief priests and the elders? How could he have learned about this? I think it's the providence of God because people were praying. The nephew tells Paul, who instructs him to tell the commander, who orders 200 soldiers, 70 cavalry, and 20 spearmen to accompany Paul to Caesarea. Now, a Roman garrison in those days was usually about 1,000 men. This guy, this commander, based on this message from the nephew, sets aside almost half of his garrison to protect Paul. Now, do you guys think it's important that we pray? Paul's life was spared because the commander got wind, right? Okay. The plot is over. It's a bit of a mystery to me about how God, it's a bit of a mystery to me to explain how God intervenes in the wills of men and the course of human history, but it's clear that he does. Well, you might say, well, that was Paul. 
I mean, he was bad dude. But let me give you an example in my life. Uh, in the late 80s, I lived in Connecticut, and I worked in New York City, Manhattan, actually. Michael was three, Reggie was five. And my job was to keep up with 15 affiliates around the world, so I traveled a bunch. Usually not very long, for maybe three, four, five days. Well, I had a two-week trip planned. I was going to London, Norway, the Netherlands, Germany, Austria, Vienna, Austria, and then down to Lagos, Nigeria. So I'm in Europe. Everything's done. I fly down to Lagos. I get to Lagos. It's now like day 12. Now, always before I left the country, I had my secretary. Her name was Margaret. She was a Jewish grandmother. At the time, I was 33, and I had two little boys. So all the, all the older women, they kind of adopted me. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, this kid doesn't know what he's doing, which was true. <laughs> and so uh, Martha would take my itinerary, make a copy of it, and mail it to my parents, my mom and dad. Now, y'all haven't met Margie, my mom. However, Margie was a member at Shorter AME Church. It's African Methodist Episcopal. They some serious praying folks. So my mom would take the itinerary and she'd go find her friends and then they would pray for protection for Reggie and Michael and for dad, okay? Why is this important? I'm in Lagos. It's five days before Christmas, five days before Christmas. Anyways, Margaret gets a hunch. So she calls me in Lagos and she says, hey, listen, I got a hunch. I'm going to change your flights coming home, and you'll get back a little bit earlier. And I'm like, that would be great. I miss my boys. I get back to Connecticut. I walk in my townhouse, and Angie, who is the boy's nanny, is, has been crying. And she screams, and she says, you're dead. You're dead. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> I'm alive. Margaret switched me off of Pan Am Flight 103, the one that was blown up over Lockerbie. If you don't think that praying for people, Matt, she had a hunch. She had a hunch. I'm here today because these ladies prayed. They prayed. So let's summarize these passages of Scripture. We strive in prayer and God answers. Let's not ever lose sight of that. So this morning, let's get some help against the things that hinder our prayers, okay? So first question, do you want God's will done in your life? Do you want it done in your marriage, in your family, on your block, in your church, in your community, in your city, in your state? in your country, in the world, then we must pray, right? We must strive. Okay, now it's time to participate. I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to point out one of the areas that I mentioned earlier. The way that you're going to signal that he has nudged something in you is that you're going to stand up when I mention an area and we are going to ask him to help us strive in prayer as Paul asked the Romans to do in chapter 15 of Romans. So is everybody ready? By the way, this is a team sport. Now it could be that you are a perfect prayer. Could be. As a matter of fact, if you are, raise your hand, and the rest of us will pray for that lying spirit in you. <laughs> so, this is for everybody. Question number one, and the guys are going to put this up. Do you struggle with distractions when you pray? If you do, stand up. Do you struggle with the laziness of your own soul? If you do, stand up. Before I go on to the next one, let me go back to the first one. 
Jesus said to the disciples, when you pray, go into your secret place. Okay? You know what a secret place is? It's a place where you and God can have secrets. It's also a place where you're not gonna be interrupted. So I know I'm gonna, now I'm gonna meddle for about five seconds. When you go to pray, turn off your phone and all the other digital stuff. All the other digital stuff because he wants your full undivided attention. So, do you struggle with iniquities or sin in your own heart? If you do, stand up. Do you struggle with unbelief, what God has said to you? Do you struggle with how to pray or what to say? If you do, stand up. Do you struggle with why do I need to pray if he already knows what I need and he wants to do it? If you do, stand up. Do you struggle with the memory of earlier unanswered prayers or prayers that were not answered, that were answered, but not the way that you had expected? If that's your barrier, stand up. And if there's anything else that I haven't mentioned, stand up. All of us can approach the throne of God more powerfully and walk in freedom. Now, before I pray, I remember Pastor Randy said something back in June that really stuck with me. He said that the church, this is big C, I'm not talking about the crossing necessarily, I'm talking about the church, and in particular, the church in America, had kind of turned into a cruise ship. I'm suggesting today that one of the ways that we can be transformed from this, fellas, picture one. Into something different is by striving in prayer. Fellas, put up picture number two. And again, I'm not saying that cruising is bad because we like to do that. I am saying that a lifestyle of cruising and not striving is not good for you, it's not good for your family or anybody else that you care about. So by striving, we're transformed into that. But oh, it gets better, it gets better. If we all do this together, remember I talked about community? Paul says, Jesus says, we are one body. And if we all step into what God has for us, we together get transformed into picture number three. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a bad guy and that's headed your way, there's not a hole deep enough that you can jump into. This is what the church is supposed to look like. Ready for war. We operate from a place of peace. But Jesus said this, behold, Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We can do this. I would like to get a commitment from each of you that you will strive in prayer. Now, I'd like our prayer partners to come to the front because there's another principle that goes along with this community. God loves agreement. And we can't walk together unless we're in agreement. David wrote in Psalms 133 that 
how good and pleasant it is when the brothers and sisters dwell together in unity because that's where he commands a blessing. Now, the reason that these people are up here is because some of you need someone to agree with you on the thing that the Holy Spirit has lifted up in you because you wanna strive in that area. There's power in agreement. He says he commands a blessing. Now, if you have somebody that's sitting beside you that you can get into a accountability with, by all means. These folks are all spirit-filled and they understand the power of agreement. It's time to strive as the body of Christ to have the impact on the world that Jesus intended when he started the church and sent the Holy Spirit to light the fire. Amen? So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we commit as your church, as your body, to be available to you to do whatever it is that you would have us do. We surrender our will and take up your will. You said that we were created for good works which were predestined before the very foundation of the world that we should walk in them. So Father, as a church and as an individual, we commit to strive in prayer, to not give up and to press into the truth and beauty of all that you have said. And because of that, we are walking in peace. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the people around us can see that we believe what Jesus said. They will know that you are my disciples by the way that we love one another. And so, Father, thank you for everything you are doing. Father, our final act of worship is to bring all of our tithes, all of our offerings into your storehouse. So, Father, I pray for the finances, for the jobs, for the provision that you have for everybody that's represented in this house. May their every need be met. Not because I prayed, but because you said it and I'm praying it, and you love to respond to what you have said when your kids use your promises as a reminder of who you are to us. So, Father, we love you. We bless you. We adore you. And it's in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at The Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. Or you can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc.